Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of Yes UConn, the podcast where we talk about the greatest UConn basketball games ever played. And uh, so right now, seeing as that there haven't been many games played recently, we're going to take this moment to kind of reset and look at the big picture. And who better to do that than Mr. Big East himself, John Fanta. John, of course, is a uh, like pretty much all things Big East these days, uh, covering the team, you know, covering the league, doing play-by-play, all that good stuff. John, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing today? Mac, I'm doing really well. It's great to be with you, and thanks for having me on. And I absolutely love the podcast name, Yes, UConn, because uh, it's got to be one of the, the best, most original names out there. So this is exciting for me to be joining you. I can sense the passion from the Husky fan base which has been really cool. It's made it pretty cool to cover this program and just see an audience that is constantly passionate for their team and their program. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll say you've certainly had your uh, interactions with UConn, uh, like the UConn family. I know that I'm not the first UConn podcast you've been on, and I certainly won't be the last. Um, you know, this has been a fun year. I think you, you probably could tell, but like we, we've been through a rough couple of years. And uh, just to have this experience, even, you know, with the pandemic, it's it's just been a big release. So I guess uh, the first question I'll ask you, you know, what's this, what has this just been like for you, uh, you know, with UConn coming in and, you know, what has UConn added in terms of an on-court product and as a larger cultural experience that you've had a chance to interact with? Matt, they fit everything that the Big East is about, and it's easy to see why when you consider the fact that they own eight Big East Conference Tournament Championships, most in the league's history. They are synonymous with the league, not only in the results and and how much they've won, but Matt, this UConn team this year has been a return to the identity that we've seen from UConn teams in the past. Toughness, physicality inside not going to let you have anything easy. And this UConn team has some flaws on the offensive end of the floor, but they've also been missing their best player, who I think, and, and I, I have been, actually I've received some feedback from folks who have said, I don't know about that, but I think James Booknight is the most talented all-around guard that UConn's had since Kemba Walker. And I understand that Shabazz Napier is in there, and but but I just, I have so much faith in Booknight's ability to get things done for this team that I'm really intrigued to see what version of book Knight comes back when he returns from this injury, but covering this team this year, it all goes back to July 1st. Um, when we did a, a shoot around special on the Big East digital and social media platforms. And I'm talking with Jim Calhoun. I'm talking with Dan Hurley and Mac, it just felt big and it is big because this program, has put basketball at the front of the table, which is always what it's meant to be. And the Big East does that. And you can just feel the linkage. Every time I talk to Dan Hurley, I can feel how much he wants to get this program back to where it was. National championship games, Final Fours, the big stage. And I think things are heading in that direction. The recruiting certainly is. The results are starting to show. You're finding guys who really, they wear it on their sleeve. That, that's what UConn basketball is, and that's what the fan base has been waiting for. And being in the Big East only elevates that. Being in any other league would not do it. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't carry the same weight. So my observations thus far have been, I credit this team for going through what they've gone through, multiple pauses, 
They've lost their star player. It'd be easy to be a 500 team right now. And instead, they're 8-4 overall. They have a, a nice win over uh, USC from earlier this season. And, and they have performed at a pretty strong level, a team that should be dancing this March. And I think that's just the first of many steps to come in stores. Yeah, I think that's certainly the sense that most fans have gotten. Uh, I, I will say just as far as this year's team goes and as far as this year's, I guess, just the way that things have played out, I find it a little bit difficult to really gauge just how good this UConn team really is because we have not seen, you know, for the most part, you know, they've now played about half of their season without Booknight. And frankly, since the Big East like, conference play started, they've kind of had like a weird thing where they've mostly played the worst teams in the conference except for Creighton twice. You know, you look at their wins, they've beaten Butler twice, both times without Book Knight. They beat DePaul twice, and they beat Marquette in that just absolutely ludicrous game, you know, back uh, in, you know, early January. And, you know, and then the games against Creighton were, were were both good, and they really should have beat them the first time, uh, you know, where you know, they missed those two free throws and ended up losing in overtime. So, and then now they're just like, you watch them play and you're sometimes as a UConn fan, you're just like, what are these guys doing? Like on offense, it's like, you can't make a layup sometimes. And you know, yet, you know, they are where they are. So now when they have games with Seton Hall and Providence and Xavier and, you know, some of the quote unquote middle class of the conference coming up, I feel like we're going to learn more about the team, but what do you, what do you, what has your been, what has been your sense just kind of given the, we'll say sort of the asterisks uh, on what we've seen so far? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Here's the thing. We have not gotten a true gauge of who this UConn team exactly is and just how good they are. But, Mac, they defend and rebound. And they're the best offensive rebounding team in the Big East. And so when you defend and rebound to the ability in which they do that, if you find your marquee score, what we have seen for UConn this year, at its simplest form, is that when this team has had an alpha, a lead scorer, a Tyler Polly going off from three, a James Booknight against Creighton. He's not going to have 40 every night, but James Booknight, when he's been healthy, has been the top performer. Uh, a Tyrese Martin, who delivers in the clutch against DePaul. It, that's been the question mark, is can they get that guy from a night-to-night basis, it could be a different guy from one night to another, that guy to step up. And the hope as a coach is, is that with this time without book night, that some of these other guys who have stepped up, that they can be more confident here as the season goes on and as you get into March, that if book night gets double teamed late in the game or gets swarmed defensively, that he could go to a Polly, to a Whaley. Um, you know, we've seen bursts from other players and RJ Cole for a big shot. But the, the point is for this UConn team is that they play too hard to not be in most of their games. Do we know how good they are? Uh, no. No, I don't think anybody really knows. And I don't think I think that's why they're not getting brought up a ton in the national conversation because there's a level of unknown with them. And so you don't know exactly who they are. But, Mac, at their best, they have shown us that they could be Creighton. They should have won that game. And I do think that if they win that game, we are thinking very differently about UConn and the fact that maybe they are the second-best team in this in this conference. Um, but I, I think for us right now, we could see them at fifth. You know, we could see them at sixth. And, and you, don't know, you don't know what the circumstances are going to be. I don't see them any lower than fifth place. I think that they're probably fourth. 
uh, maybe even third. Xavier's played very good basketball. I, I'm very intrigued to see UConn and Xavier play. But uh, and, and so is everybody after what happened in Charleston last year. But I think with the way that the Huskies defend and rebound, and the metrics show it as well, and the, and the numbers show it, that, that to me, when you have a constant in place of that, I don't get too concerned about whether or not you're good. I think this UConn team is good. We just don't know how good they are, and that's understandable in a season like this one. The next couple weeks are going to tell us quite a bit. We just have to wait and see. I, I think that they're going to to be very solid in this upcoming stretch. I don't anticipate them having some major drop-off or disappointing. I, I think this team's here to stay because they just, they've just they got enough pieces now for Dan Hurley in year three, but they also, the constant of rebounding the basketball, sometimes their best form of offense is offensive rebounding. And the Big East is not a conference with a lot of big men. So that gives UConn a nice advantage. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's been one of the, we'll say like one of the most fun and also one of the most frustrating things about the team where they'll get like 14, 15 rebound, offensive rebounds in like a half, and then they'll like go like 40% on the layups. So it's like the ceiling is seems to be super high. I guess just from a fan perspective, you're just like, man, like once they put it together, it's just going to be awesome. But it's like, there's a lot of good reasons why they're not. So it's like trying to stay patient. So, um, kind of like taking a little bit bigger picture now with the conference itself, you know, we don't, we don't really know quite where everybody fits into the puzzle yet, but we have a pretty good idea. I I would say, you know, just, you know, I'm not going to put you on the spot necessarily, but for me, like it feels like there's three tiers of teams here. You have kind of the clear cut favorites, which I, I think, you know, Villanova and Creighton are pretty obvious in that category. Then you've got sort of the, the the bottom tier teams who are, you know, you got your Georgetowns and DePauls and Butlers who are just generally not as competitive compared to the others. And then in the middle, it's like kind of this big chaotic middle class. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, I guess, where you think teams like UConn and we'll say Xavier too, because they're kind of a little bit of an unknown just because of their own COVID pause, you know, where they they fit in the, the you know, the, the pecking order, so to speak. Yeah. I think that in the middle of this league, um, <laughs> the number three spot today has to go to Xavier. You know, they're 11-2 they're and two and own a 22-point win over an Oklahoma team that, that's beaten Alabama, Texas, and Kansas. I mean, come on. That, the Musketeers deserve a little bit more. They're not even ranked. They're 11-2, and two, Matt. Could you imagine if UConn were 11-2 and two and were unranked? Yeah. I think, I think it's one of the strangest things, honestly. I don't understand why they weren't, they're weren't. they not ranked right now because uh, they've been good all year for the most part. Yeah, and, and the difference is they're shooting the three better. Um, last year they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the Big East. They were at 31%. Uh, they only averaged about six threes a game. That's lower. That's lower if you, if you look at what teams average a game. This year they're averaging over eight, close to nine three-pointers per game. They shoot it. Around 37%. They brought in a transfer, Nate Johnson, who won at Gardner-Webb. A transfer, Adam Kunkel, who won at Belmont. They brought in winners. They brought in guys who know what it takes to win games. Paul Scruggs, the senior, is the clear alpha. I would put Xavier three. I put UConn four, and I think that the Huskies are steady there right now. I would I would put them at the four slot. Yeah, some unknowns, but overall I've been more impressed and I've been disappointed in them. And I think that they're a team that's holding steady there. And, and if they beat Creighton, maybe I put them third. That's probably the only thing separating. And you could say, well, Xavier didn't beat Creighton, John. But 
I, I think Xavier owns the best win of the middle tier. That 22-point win over Oklahoma, they they hung 99 points on Oklahoma. I mean, that that is that's impressive. Oklahoma is one of the better defensive teams in the Big 12, and Xavier torched them. So um, I would I put Xavier 3. I put UConn 4 right now, and I put Seton Hall right behind him, and, and if not, like right alongside them. At the fourth slot, I hate to tie them up, but I think that Saturday's game is huge. You know, assuming that it gets played, I think Saturday is massive between the Pirates and the Huskies from stores. Seton Hall needs it. Their net's back to 58. Uh, it's a quadrant one opportunity for them on the road. Seton Hall's actually been a great road team. They have won 10 of their last 14 Big East road games, so they've been a good team away from home. But but UConn, their physicality against Seton Hall inside with Ike Obiagu, the seven-footer, I'm really intrigued to see that. And I'm, I'm intrigued to see you know what UConn's plan is against Sandro Mamukelashvili, who's just so versatile at six foot eleven. Uh, but that that's how I would rank the middle. I think St. John's the firm six. You know, I w- if I were to go with a bottom tier now, it'd be Marquette, Marquette, Butler, Georgetown, DePaul. That would be that would be the bottom four. St. John's to me, Mac is a is a team that that right now I put as a I'd put as a six. I don't think Providence. I'm down on Providence. They're not consistent enough. They just lost to Georgetown. They don't they don't play well enough on offense, and their defense doesn't make up for it. Typically, Ed Cooley's teams are able to defend well enough to keep them in games. They're not defending well enough. So I'm down on the Friars. I'm buying some stock in St. John's. I think this team is going to be dangerous here. They already showed it once in stores. Yeah, that game. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because man, like when UConn lost to St. John's, I mean they've won. I think that was the first of four straight wins that they've had now. And when that loss happened, I mean you could have just you probably heard it from all the UConn people on Twitter. It was we, there was a lot of uh, a lot of hot sauce being consumed that day. It was a uh, pretty rough, but they have very much like got their act together. And I think I actually saw you must have tweeted something right before we got on that their defense in particular has really stepped up. Like they were giving up something like what, 86 points per game before. And now they're down to like 68. Like it's like night and day. What, what's gotten into the St. John's? What's gotten into St. John's is Josh Roberts, um, a junior who started the last six games. And other players have told me that he set the tone in these games defensively. He's just playing a really He's playing at a high level on the defensive end of the floor. He's not playing heavy minutes, Mac. He's only playing, I mean, at most 20 minutes or so a game. But they just like the way that he sets the, the tenor of a game on the defensive end of the floor. So I think that that's made a difference. I think that Pasha Alexander and Dylan Adaiwusu have come into their own. These are freshmen. It's taken them some time to understand what it takes to win. But at Marquette on Sunday is the latest example. There's less than two minutes on the clock. Alexander takes the ball from DJ Carden and finishes on the break. Marquette hits two free throws on the other end, and St. John's comes down. Dylan Adaiwus, who drives from the left wing and finishes at the 10 with a really, really difficult finish. These are freshmen who have really come into their own. They've stepped into things, and St. John's, they're, they're active defensively, and that's led by Alexander, who's just taken it on himself to be a warrior for this team. He plays such a unique style of basketball. It's impressive to watch. And I also think Rasheen Dunn, the fifth-year senior, has kind of been this quiet guard who keeps them steady, doesn't turn the basketball over. Um, just just a really steady Eddie type of guy. And so I look at all these variables 
and I, I, I see a group that has just found themselves. They found their alpha, Julian Champagny, who's leading the Big East with nearly 20 points per game. And when you compile that and combine that with the play of these freshmen, what it is with St. John's, Mac, is it's a lot of underclassmen who have been asked to take on the lead role, and it just took them time. But the extreme of 1-5 in five and Big East play now 5-6 of six is really something. Uh, but they've, they've, they had a come-to-Jesus moment on the defensive end of the floor, and Mike Anderson said they had to come together and kind of had a team meeting, closed-door meeting, and said, how are we going to get this right? Sometimes that's what it takes to turn it around. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it's uh, the results certainly speak for themselves. I mean, you see some talk that they might even be playing themselves back into the bubble conversation, which is crazy considering where they were not too long ago. So, um, you know, UConn and St. John's will see each other again sometime soon. But in the meantime, yeah, I mean, we Saint, the Seton Hall is the, the big one coming up this Saturday. And something with Seton Hall, I feel like it's probably worth mentioning. Like, they've lost three in a row, and they've lost four of five. But for all four of those losses were just Villanova and Creighton. So, you know, the the loss against the, the last loss against Creighton where they like blew the what was it, a sixteen point lead or something. I mean, that was really rough. But like all things considered, I mean, Villanova and Creighton are better than Seton Hall. So it's not like it's not like they were losing these games to bad opponents. So like with UConn now, like what do we I guess what do we make of Seton Hall? Like is it as bad as it feels with them, or are they like ripe for like potentially a big bounce back against UConn if uh, you know the Huskies aren't careful? You know, Mac, um, you you can never be on any fan bases. Like, if you're on every fan base's good side, it probably means you're not doing your job correctly necessarily. You got to be able to kind of give and take. That being said, um, I've been called uh, by by Seton Hall's fan base some of it that I'm being positive when I'm talking about the Pirates. Well, well no, I, I'm I'm being a realist in that they've been to, they would have been to the last five NCAA tournaments had there been one last year. And, Mac, I'm telling you, out of the five, four years out of those five, there has been a moment in the season that has said, uh-oh, I, things are going in the wrong direction for Seton Hall. Um, are they going to be okay? And I'm not banking on the past. But I'm just bringing it up as part of the argument here. And here, here's why I think this team is going to be okay. All right, They went to Marquette. They commanded Marquette for the most of that game. They went to Xavier. They thumped Xavier. They didn't beat Xavier. They thumped them in Cincinnati. That Xavier team we were just talking about that's 11-2. You're telling me that that, that that win doesn't carry away? I mean, that's what they beat Penn State. Penn State's net is in the top 35 right now. They went on the road and beat Penn State in Happy Valley. They've, they've also lost to Oregon. Um, they lost to Louisville. Those aren't bad losses, but those are opportunities that were missed. And they lost a the, – the biggest thing is this is all getting magnified because they lost a 16-point lead to Creighton. You, you can't lose 16-point leads at home. It can't happen, and it did. And it did, and that's a bad loss for Seton Hall. Not, not, not on the resume, but you should have won that game. You should have beaten Creighton, and you didn't. But I don't think that the sky is falling in South Orange. I don't think that this is cause for panic time. I think you've got to win a game this week. Think, let's let's think about this here. Let's. I don't like to play the schedule game in this conference, but I'm actually going to do it with Seton Hall because you just brought it up, Matt. They've played Creighton and Villanova over the last two weeks. They've lost. 
they had a nationally ranked team last year. They had Miles Powell. And on paper, they, they for much of the season, were better than Creighton. They went 1-3 against Creighton and Villanova last year with a, with a much better Seton Hall team. But here's their upcoming schedule. I'll take you through it here now. I want you to give me a, a prediction for the most part here, okay? Okay. At Providence on Wednesday. What do you think? Seton Hall win going away. <laughs> a UConn fan will never pick Providence in the game, but but that but that makes sense. Uh, uh, okay. That's an objective take. <laughs> I'm not going to have anybody pick the UConn game, okay? I, I think that's a toss-up game. I don't know. I think it's going to be tight. I could see UConn winning. I could see Seton Hall winning. It's it's a hard game to pick. We'll, we'll admit that, right? And, and we don't even know who's going to play. I mean, for all we know, Andre Jackson or a Cook, a Cook could be back. They might not be. I don't think Book Knight probably won't. But like, you know, just getting Andre Jackson back into the lineup could make a world of difference because I mean, that's basically your your depth at wing right there. So. You know, Andre could make a big difference, but we'll we'll just have to see. So yeah, we'll we'll put that to the side for now. Let's say they go one and one this week at worst. Okay, let's say they split this week. Home to Marquette. Home to Marquette. Oh, uh, Seton Hall should win that. Home to DePaul. Oh, definitely Seton Hall. At Georgetown. Definitely Seton Hall. Four and one. They're gonna have a game at Butler. They 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 should win that game. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Their last week of the season is home to UConn. Toss-up game should be a great game. I wish there were fans of the Prudential Center. The roof might pop off if that were the case. And then they're at St. John's to close. If Seton Hall does what we just said on the schedule game, do you think that they're going to get left out of the tournament? No. No, absolutely not. No, and with a team that was picked fifth in their league, they weren't going to get a great seed. Uh, it, it, it just... You weren't going to get a – you might have been early in the season, but you didn't do enough in your non-conference. For the goal at Seton Hall this year, a year removed from Miles Powell, you have Mamu Kalashvili and an okay team. If you make the tournament, that says to me you've got a program that even in a year where you're not as good, you still make the field of 68, that you have a good enough program year in and year out to find your way in, in competition. And that's what they've done under Kevin Willard. I don't think this guy's falling in South Orange. I just think – I think that Seton Hall fans get worked up over a couple losses in a row, like any fan base would, and you start to get a little bit ignorant of the huge picture here. And the big picture is Seton Hall's still in the NCAA tournament conversation. They just have work to do in the month of February. Every college basketball team, for the most part, has month to do in February. Yeah, absolutely. Well, since we just played that game for Seton Hall, uh, I was going to ask about UConn. I, let's let's maybe do it now because maybe not for the whole season, but the next five games for UConn feel like they're going to be very illuminating. So we have the Seton Hall game coming up, and then you have at Providence, at Xavier, versus Providence, and at Villanova. So, you know, kind of playing by those same rules, like, you know, Seton Hall's a toss-up. Providence, I feel like UConn should... They should certainly win at least one of those games, if not both. And then at Xavier and at Villanova, you know, at Villanova is, you know, probably going to, you know, I'm not going to predict a win because that would be crazy. But like, it just, it's hard to, it's hard to say. Like, I feel like if UConn goes three and two in that stretch, especially if they don't get book night back for some of it, it's just going to be tough. And, you know, laying out with Seton Hall, like they're going to be winning games. So UConn will need to kind of keep pace if they're going to, if they want to, you know, finish, you know, third or fourth in the conference. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think about just this coming stretch? And, you know, I guess what UConn has to do to kind of keep up with the the rest. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Um, 
I'll tell you, that road game at Xavier just looks big because I see UConn splitting the next two, or if they go 2-0, and I mean, that's huge for them. That that you find some separation. Um, you'd be beating Seton Hall and Providence, two teams that are trying to get, get up in the standings. That'd be big for them. I mean, that's, that's where you could talk about finishing third in this league. That game at Xavier's big because, you know, you – I don't see you losing at home to Providence, but then you go to Villanova, um, and you know you you don't want to lose two or three, and then come down the stretch of the season. Though I just can't see them losing to Georgetown either time. They're going to win both those games. So right now, let's see, let's see. I'm just taking a look at this. Right now, they're sitting at five and four in conference play. Uh, five and three. Five and three. Five and three. My the standings thing on this one site doesn't. Doesn't always work. Okay, they're five and three. In a season like this one, games get moved, and sometimes the results change um, by because of the computer system behind these websites. That's for a whole other story. They're five and three in Big East play. I think they're gonna go. I'm gonna count right now. Let's see. One. I think they'll go. I think they'll. Let's let's just play with play with this here, and let's say they. I'm gonna say they lose to Seton Hall. They're five and four because they're coming off the pause. Six and four, they beat Providence. I'm gonna say they lose to Xavier. I'm gonna try this here. Six and five, they beat Providence. Seven and five, they lose to Villanova. Seven and six, they beat Georgetown. Marquette. Um, so eight, nine. Georgetown. Yeah, I mean, they'll have Georgetown a second team. time too. I think this is the team that gets ten or eleven Big East wins. Okay, that feels, you know what, I feel like uh, when I did my uh, preseason podcast, uh, the discussion me and my guest at that point had was like, you want to get the 13. So, you know, if we're talking about like 10 or 11 is sort of the floor, it feels, you know, it feels pretty well, realistic. You're like not, You're probably not going to play all 20, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I there are, yeah, the set, the, I, I think the St. John's and the Xavier games that got postponed, I, I don't know if those have been rescheduled yet officially, so... We'll just have to see. I, I guess uh, that'll be that'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, no. Either way, I mean, it, it feels like it's there for UConn. It's just like we're we're just gonna have to learn. I guess uh, we're gonna find out who they really are soon. Um, so before we, I guess before we get to the individual stuff, uh, I just wanted to ask, what is up with Providence and Marquette? I don't understand these teams. <laughs> I feel like they should and have been better than they are, and then they weirdly go out and lose these strange games you know is there, do you have an explanation for for what for, for these two teams well with Marquette um, I, I I'm just puzzled I'm just puzzled I mean they they go out and they beat Creighton and beat Wisconsin you got to be able to sustain some semblance of success and they haven't been able to do it and they've been inconsistent their defense, which I thought was going to be better, has not been. They're just—they haven't been a good defensive team, and um, they look like a team that's defeated. They look like a team that is defeated. They look like a team that is broken in some ways, um, and I just—I don't understand how they can't put together a complete effort at times. You know, it's—it's it's very, very strange. So I I'm I am totally befuddled. I think one thing is Dawson Garcia is a freshman, and his involvement in games comes and goes at times. Um, and 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 
part of that is a first-year player in college basketball, but part of it is you got to get him touches. you got to get him the basketball. And then, Mac, when I watch this team play, this Marquette team, I see a team that does not have an alpha. They don't. They, they don't have an alpha dog. Um, they just don't have that. And that's where you've got to rely on your coach all that much more. And uh, they, they just don't have a, much of a connection. You know, I, I, I sense a disconnect with this team right now. I think that their defense uh, has, has fallen off. And, uh, you know, it's always been something that Steve Wojciechowski has strived for, but, but just hasn't been able to achieve. And I think on the offensive end of the floor, they've gone ice cold from three. They've become an inconsistent three-point shooting team. And they don't make up for it in some of the other categories. As for Providence... They don't have a consistent third wheel on the offensive end of the floor. A.J. Reeves goes off on Saturday, but that throws – David Duke ends up going into a hole and can't finish anything. He can't score score much at all. And so it, it's just – there's never – there's not many moments where you say Duke and Reeves are both rolling together. And that's strange. They were top-tier recruits. They get along well. They're great kids. They just, they just can't coexist on the floor at the same time, or at least it seems that way. Nate Watson's had a great year, but where this Providence team is failing is an inconsistency in point guard play. When Ed Cooley's had success, he's had Bryce Cott, Kyron Cartwright, um, and, and others that have delivered for him at point guard. Even last year, LaJuan Pipkins at the end of last year was playing at a very high level. Well, Jared Bynum got hurt, and they're relying on a true freshman, Alan Bree, who's been good. But late in games, when you need somebody to make a play, they're not getting that point guard play. And David Duke's not a point guard. He's a good scorer. He's a great defender. He's not a point guard. And I just think with both Marquette and Providence, I don't see an I don't see a guy. I see I see some star power. Providence has more though with Duke. Duke is so so good. But the Friars have struggled defensively. You know they really have had trouble guarding teams throughout periods of games. And they, again, a team that's been inconsistent. I think that part of it is when you carry such a big question mark beyond two players, like Providence has carried it, if you don't make up for it on the glass and defensively, which is something that UConn does really well, this year Providence has struggled defensively. I can't really put a finger on it, but I think when you combine that with not having great point guard play, I mean, at least UConn has a solid point guard in R.J. Cole. You know, um... Providence hasn't had any anything solidified at their point guard spot, and it's a guards game in this sport. So that's why the Friars have been failing. Yeah, it's yeah, that's a good that's a good call actually. Because with with Providence, I feel like I look at them and they absolutely pass the eye test. Like you look at these guys and they're like they're big, they're athletic, and you know the stats jump off the page. I think uh, Duke and I think Watson are like two and three in the conference and scoring right now. And then yet you look at the results like you know, it's been and it's been all season. It's been it has not been like kind of a on and off thing. Like they get blown out by Indiana and then they lose these weird games to. It's just I don't know. It it feels like they should be way better than they are. So I, I don't know. Not that it, it is what it is. I guess so. Um, You're right. It does feel that way. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So um, the, let's let's talk like individual stuff, because like I think we've seen enough now that we have a pretty good idea of who the top players in the league are. 
Um, Book Knight's injury throws a wrench in this because that adds like the whole thing where like you can say that Book Knight has been one of the best players in the league, but then you also have to have the caveat of being like, yeah, but he's only played half the games. So where do you feel that Book Knight kind of, how do you feel Book Knight kind of, you know, stacks up in the pecking order of the league when compared to guys like Duke and Watson and Mamu Kailashvili and, you know, Colin Gillespie and Jeremiah Robinson Earl and some of the other top guys in the conference. How do you feel? Uh, the, yeah. How do you feel the, the biggest player of the year uh, race is looking, I guess, is the well, if, if I voted today, Colin Gillespie would be my biggest player of the year. What he is doing is, is very quiet, but is unbelievable. He, he has 56 assists this season to 12 turnovers. 56 assists to 12 turnovers in the Big East. It's pretty good. And, and before that non-conference play, they were playing in Bubbleville against high-caliber competition. He manages every game. He doesn't make mistakes. He makes big shots. He's calm, cool, and collected. Villanova hasn't lost in this league. The player of the year typically goes to the best team, if not the second or third best team. Colin Gillespie's Villanova's most important player. So I'd be giving it to him. I think that James Booknight would be Big East Player of the Year if he had played a full season and if he were healthy, but it's not going to go that way. You know, we don't know when he's going to come back. I think he's as good as any guard in this league. You know, I uh, before he got hurt, I, I think he he would have been my vote for Big East Player of the Year. But the fact is, he's hurt. Duke's been really good. Duke would probably be two or three in this race. Mamu Kelashvili's fallen off lately. He's, he's eight for his last 24 from the field. You know that's it's just not good enough. So I think um, I think when you think about this race right now, you know I think that Gillespie's there. I think Robinson Earl at Villanova. You know if Robinson Earl keeps playing well, he certainly has a case. Uh, Creighton doesn't have they haven't had a player you know be outstanding. Zagorowski's actually kind of been underwhelming compared to what we thought he might be. And underwhelming is a light term for a guy who just won Big East Player of the Week and, and is still playing at a very high level. I just think we expected him to be even better than this. So the race is still a bit wide open. We could see a late contender come about. One guy that's not getting talked about in this conference enough, Mac, is Paul Scruggs. He had 24 points for Xavier in the win over Butler this past weekend. He's had four 20-plus point performances. He defends as well as anybody in this league. Like, Paul Scruggs is, is the reason why Xavier's 11-2. and two. And we're just not talking about Xavier or Scruggs. And I get it. Like, maybe Xavier hasn't shown us a great Big East win yet, but it's just played really, really steady basketball. And I think Scruggs deserves to get talked about a bit more. But if you're asking me today who would I vote for, it would be Gillespie. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And obviously, like, it's a weird element with Villanova because they went a whole month without playing. So you almost forgot about them until they come back and it's like, oh, right, they're the best. (laughs) So, yeah, it'll be... I'm fascinated to see when UConn and Villanova do eventually play. Like, you know, obviously it's like one thing to see him play other teams, but you really get a feel for them once you kind of see them against the team you know best. And uh, I feel like once once UConn sees him again, it'll be pretty clear, I guess, uh, hopefully. Well, unless UConn does a good job playing defense, I guess, but even still, he uh, he's he's something else. Uh, how about the, for the freshmen? I think, you know, Dawson Garcia, you know, Posh Alexander and guys like that feel like they're the popular choices. Is there anybody else who stands out to you? And uh, I'll just t- toss in Adama Sonogo, too. How do you feel like he's played so far this year? Oh, I think he's been good. And Adama Sonogo is, has shown us in some recent games that, that he's a guy that can be relied upon to finish inside, to, to have that burst in a game, 
take control of a situation. I, I like the way Adamus Sonogo has played this season for UConn. I was wondering why we didn't see more of him down the stretch against St. John's. Um, but you know what? That's Dan Hurley felt what was in the best interest of them down the stretch in that game. And look, you, the coach, he, he's the coach of the team for a reason. So that's why he did what he did. That being said, Posh Alexander, for me, he has turned St. John's around. He plays relentless defense. He had six steals against Marquette on Sunday. He leads the Big East in steals. I mean, I, I would vote him Big East Defensive Player of the Year today. That That's how good he's been on the defensive end of the floor. So when you think about the fact that I'm talking about maybe the best defensive guard in the Big East, and I combine that with the fact that he's averaging around 12 points per game, uh, has been good in the assist column, this kid makes plays. He, he just makes a lot of plays. And, you know, let's see, he's sixth in the conference right now with 4.4 assists per game. Garcia's been solid. You know, he he's had a good year. He's averaging 13 and 7. So what do you like more? I mean, do you like the 11 and nearly 5 assists per game with the 3 steals per game? Or do you want the 13 and 7? I I think it'll depend on which team finishes stronger. Right now, I'd put the chances better than St. John's does. I just I like the way that uh, that Posh Alexander is playing right now, and and I just think he's too vital um, defensively for me to not vote him freshman of the year and defensive player of the year. Yeah, no, that's all, that all sounds good. So. John, I really appreciate the time. I think uh, we're probably coming to the end, but before we, I let you go. You know, just I, what are your what are your thoughts on just uh, you know the second half of the Big East season as a whole? Do you do you think that there's anything in particular we should be keeping an eye out for, or any you know storylines to watch that may not be super obvious? Well, how about this? I mean, let's start with this. There is a gap between Villanova and Creighton. Just how big is that gap? You know, Villanova hasn't lost in Big East play. Creighton does own three losses. Creighton hasn't played great lately. I mean, they should have lost at Seton Hall. They, they found a way. Uh, but they didn't even play well against DePaul, Mac. I mean, they almost lost that game on Saturday. But what stands out to me, you're going to have Creighton and Villanova. February the 13th, a Saturday evening game, 5 Eastern time on Fox. Then the rematch is March 3rd. The first game's in Omaha, the second game is on the main line at the Finneran Pavilion. I'm excited to see these two teams battle. We've been talking about them at the top of this league. Who's better? And then I think I think in this league, who's better, Seton Hall or UConn? You know, for me, if we're talking about third-best team in this conference, the UConn-Xavier matchup, the UConn-Seton Hall battles, like that, those are what intrigued me the most. In terms of some of the other things that come to mind, you know, this St. John's team has opportunities. They've got a couple of opportunities against Villanova this month. They went over against Creighton. Uh, but St. John's is coming on here. This is not a this is not a fluke. Mike Anderson is a winning coach, and now we're starting to see the results in Queens. So I think that that's kind of the, the sleeper storyline to keep paying attention to now. They, they deserve some attention. But I think overarching, like everything in this league, the conclusion from our podcast here has been, Xavier is 11-2. They are not ranked. They are much better offensively than they were last year. Defensively, they're decent. They're not a great defensive team, but they do their part. And they're really not getting much national attention at all. So if there were a storyline for people to watch out for, watch this Xavier team play. Look, 
I could be saying this right now, and they could lose a couple of games. That's college basketball. But I think that this team, they were picked to finish seventh in this conference. And and if you would have said to me at the beginning of the year, I probably would have said, I don't know if Xavier will make the NCAA tournament. Well, right now you'd have to say they're kind of a lock. I mean, they have no blemishes, and they've got 11 out of 13 games that they've won. So Xavier would be the team that, that I think deserves some more attention. UConn Seton Hall would be a, a – a matchup and a storyline that I'm really intrigued by. But how about the fact that we're going to get two Villanova Creighton games in the next month? For a college basketball fan or follower, and for UConn fans, they know what both these teams are made of. That's going to be really interesting. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to this month. It's going to be, you know, hopefully we uh, don't have any more pauses, knock on wood. Um, and just it's a good finish because, you know, College basketball and Big East basketball is so much fun. So it's been it's been a good ride so far. John, thank you so much for coming on and lending your expertise. Uh, so just uh, I guess just to reiterate for the listeners, you know, where can people find you? Where can they read you? All that good stuff. They can find me at John J O H N underscore Phantom. Uh, my direct messages are open. If you want to talk, debate, look, I, I'm a. I, I try to be a friendly guy that respects all opinions. That's all really good stuff. And uh, that's where you can find my work. You can find me at Big East MBB on Twitter. That's where I do a lot of my digital hits. And uh, Big East Shoot Around is right now, it's been on Saturday mornings. We're at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We get one or two players and an expert, a national expert, to give their perspective on the conference. We do it 11 a.m. Eastern Time. It's on Big East YouTube, so that's youtube.com slash Big East Conference. It's also live on Twitter at John underscore Fanta at Big East MBB. We do that show every week. It's a ball to do, uh, and we do that throughout the season. So we're in the midst of a season of shoot-around right now, in the midst of college basketball craziness. And uh, I also have an announcement on the NBA G League side uh, coming up here in the next week or so, some some other play-by-play stuff in the works that I'm excited about. So nice. Great to join you, my friend. Awesome. Well, that's, that is one hell of a tease. You really are a true uh, broadcast professional. So uh, lo- looking forward to hearing what that is. Uh, yeah, awesome, though. John, thanks so much. We'd love to have you back. Uh, you know, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll catch up uh, more later on in the season, no doubt. And for all of you guys out there, thank you all so much for listening. You guys all know the deal. You can follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo, M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. My DMs are also open, and you can reach us at email uh, at yesuconpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, just hit us up on those uh, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. That helps the algorithms. And uh, if you search UConn on Apple Podcasts, we're one of the first things that comes up. So that's that's all because of you. So thanks so much for that. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. And you guys all have a good one. Bye.